You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Let's pray. Jesus, everything that we do is about you. This conference, this life that we live, these youth ministries that we're doing our best to be faithful with and to grow. Father, everything that we do is for you. These lives that we live are for you. So Father, here in these next moments, would you please come, fill my mouth, Fill this room, fill these ears, fill this place with you. Teach us and train us from your word so that we, in fact, learn to live our lives so everything revolves around you. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, well, it's been a pretty incredible weekend thus far, and we've got a full day left. Are you ready for it? Me too. All right, we've heard from John Bevere. We've heard about the grace, the power of God to live our lives the way that he's called us to live. Incredible. We learned, we heard from, uh, from Pastor Ross and from Lisa Bevere about being men and women of God. Yeah, I heard a girl. Yeah, yeah. Great. We've heard, we heard from David Perkins about overcoming and connecting the divine story of everything that God is and does with our stories and making our stories come alive so that we can make a difference and do what? Overcome. Because people will overcome, not by your strength, not by my strength, but by his. We've, we've heard that. Last night we heard from Ron Luce about dreaming big. And as we're being overcomers, we learned to dream big and let the dreams of God come alive so we can fulfill those. Man, this has been one hot, hot weekend. And now, this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do something pretty insane. To live differently wholehearted devotion and make it to the end. Eh, we'll get there in just a minute. Did you ever feel like, you ever feel like you didn't belong? <laughs> Someone's a little too quick. Yes, help me. Uh, talk to your youth pastor. He'll help you through that. Man, I have. I've totally been in a place where I feel like I just did not belong. You know where the worst place to do that is? Sorry, guys. Junior high school. Bro, that is the place of not belonging. I don't know what happens. I love all you junior high people. I love you so much. We are with you. We believe in you because we know what it's like to be in junior high. It's rough. But in junior high school, man, it's weird. You come out of elementary and everybody's like the same size playing on the playground. Everybody's voices are kind of, they're just real similar tones. <laughs> Boys and girls, everybody's kind of the same. And then you get into junior high school, and what happens? I mean, suddenly, it's like it goes all twilight zone on you. Because suddenly, you've got girls that are like trees. And you've got boys that are like sticks. They're like little plants running around. You've got all these insane things going on. Boys, you're trying to hang out and do the thing. You want to be a man. You want to be a big guy. You want to be the athlete. You want to be cool. You want to put out the vibe to the ladies. 
But every time you try, you're like, you're, you're, your voice just won't cooperate with you. And you're trying to put out the vibe, and no longer all the voice is the same, because now you're going, uh, hey, yo, what's up, mama? But it's not so bad because, because on the other hand, there's the girls and they're like, hey, what's up, fella? <laughs> and boys, and of course, they're treats, they're like tree trunks. And so boys are like, ah, running away from them because it's scary. Things don't work. It's just what is going on here. And you feel like you don't belong. Listen, when I was in eighth grade, I remember I went to this new school and I walked in on my first day. And uh, I was, let me tell you, I thought long and hard because I wanted to fit. I wanted to be right on. So I walked in. I thought about my, my outfit for the day. And I was ready to go because I was going to go make an impression. And so, so I come in. I'm all dressed up, man. I'm looking good. I've got this big old, you remember in the, in the 80s, you had these big, like, uh, big striped black and white shirts, and, and I had, and I had a, a nice, sweet pair of 501 jeans, oh, oh, and they were solid white. So I'm wearing, so I'm wearing white jeans, and then, and then I had this super sweet, ultra white puffy coat. It just was this big coat, and I was like, yeah, it looks smooth. And I don't think puffy coats were smooth. <laughs> but I'm wearing this big white coat, and I show, and, and oddly enough, I, I was probably wearing Vans just like this. <laughs> well, that that's, takes me back right now. I, I just got really insecure again. <laughs> don't look at me. Please, seriously. <laughs> so... So I, I walk into school, man, and I, I'm, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling cool, I'm feeling pretty hip, keeping my coat on all day, because I didn't know what else to do, because I was just scared and insecure, and I walked in, and I remember going to lunch that day, and looking around, and I, and I saw this girl, her name was Lori, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> and, and, and so I'm thinking, oh yeah, I, I'd like to get to know that girl, uh, and so, and, and she, even though she was in you know, a tree trunk, but I thought, uh, Hey, why not? I love you. And so I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was trying to be smooth all day and meet the right people and hang out with the right friends and doing my best to fit in because you just feel like you don't. And I remember going to lunch, and that day at lunch, man, that cafeteria, they served chili dogs that day. And so, so I sat down. Man, I'm feeling smooth, and I'm doing pretty good, because I, like, I got like some pretty cool buddies that I've met, and they invited me to sit with them, and I'm, we're all sitting there, you know, and they're, they're wearing their things, they've got their braces, and our voices are all cracking all down, <laughs> that's funny, and, and we're, we're enjoying one another, hanging out, and you know, the girl's over there, and we're like, <laughs> and, and I remember sitting there and I picked up my chili dog and I was thinking, yeah, that's a funny joke. And, I, and we were laughing about stuff and I, I took that first bite. And of course, you already know what happened. Because I'm, what am I wearing? I'm wearing white jeans and a white coat for crying out loud. Take that first bite, mmm, all down the front of my coat, all down my white jeans. And I stand up and I'm like, Thankfully, I didn't cry. <laughs> and so do you think I fit in the rest of the day? Not so much. 
I stood out. Sore thumb syndrome, all right? I mean, brutal. And, and uh, things with the girl and me didn't work out, in case you were wondering. I mean, it, I don't know, in junior high, apparently girls don't date boys with like chili dog all over their clothes, but whatever. <laughs> so shallow. Um, I didn't fit that day. And uh, I'm not sure I fit the rest of the time. It's weird, isn't it? I, I feel like there are these two competing parts of us. Because there's this part of us that is driven to fit. We want to fit. It's why we wear the clothes that we do. It's why we buy what we buy. It's why we look around at culture and we say, oh, I want to be like that. I need to be like this. I, I want to I just fit. So when I walk into school, I just, it's, it's just a, it gives me a little edge so I can just kind of blend in. And hopefully I'll find the right people to hang out with. And, but at least I've got an edge. And so we do all this external work to try to just fit in somewhere. But then at the same time, there's this like dichotomy, there's this, there's this separation, there's these two competing ideas, because we want to fit with the crowd, but then on the other hand, we also kind of want to be unique and original and stand out. Do you know what I mean? You want to have something else, you, you don't want to be just like everybody else, even though we're spending all this time trying to fit in like everybody else. It's that second person that I want to defy and challenge this morning. It's that person that says, I want to be unique and original and live differently than everybody else. I want to be something different in the kingdom of God. I want to be extraordinary. I want to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. It's that person that I want to come after today. It's that person that I want to rise up on the inside of you and say, I will live differently to the very end. Following God wholeheartedly. There's an illustration here of this kind of a person. It's in Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, and you better have your Bibles, people. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 13, and we're gonna, I'm going to read through this passage. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to roll with me for a couple seconds here. Here's the deal. Ours is, in fact, a generation in crisis. We have a lot of work to do. We've got a job to do. Jesus is calling, and he needs people to say yes for the long haul. Not to give up and peter out and mess up. He's looking for men and women who will say, I will live differently. I will follow wholeheartedly and I will make it to the very end this way. I will live with character and strength. Now, we've all, we've all, seen, we've all seen people fall and fail. It's obvious. Our minds go immediately to obvious examples of people that we know that have fallen and fell short. And we say, oh, what a shame. What a pity. Knock it off. Don't even think that right now. This is about you and it's about me. It's about you and me. Yes, I know there have been tragedies in the kingdom of God and there have been things that have gone on. But today, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Because Jesus is looking today at us saying, what are you going to do with your life? Our generation is crying out saying, we need help. You understand that from Ron Luce's talk last night. So it's going to take some overcomers, some people who go to the end in character and in strength, following after Jesus. It's going to take those kinds of people if we're going to turn anything around and advance the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we might as well just all pack up and go home. Who are you going to be, my friends? I don't know if you guys have got this up there, but I would love it if you, if you don't, if you type it in. Um, something that I want you guys to, to hear today. I must be one who lives differently as a wholehearted follower of God to the very end. 
I must be one who lives differently as a wholehearted follower of God to the very end. And here is somebody that I want to look at from the scripture who I think did a good job. Let's pick up here. Let's see what's going on here. We've got, we've got the Israelites uh, looking towards the promised land. And so as they're thinking on the promises of God and the place where he's provided for them and they're heading towards it, Moses sends out some spies to go check out all the things that God has promised. So they go, they find some good stuff and some bad stuff, and they come back and they give their report. And here it goes in verse 27 of chapter 13 of Numbers. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people... Here they go, already. God's promises are true, but... But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then in verse 30, my man. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Everybody just do this for me. Say, boo. Good job. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. They're like junior high girls. We saw the... I love you. Sixth through eighth grade girls, you're amazing. You're taller than me, but you're amazing. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And then in, verse, in chapter 14, they continue on, and now the people are freaking out. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. Don't be afraid of the battles that you're going to have to fight, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Oh, good. So what happens here then is God begins to get angry. 
Because all these people are saying, we don't believe. We don't believe God can. We don't believe his promises are true. Okay, great. The land flows with milk and honey. Great. But he's not going to take us there. We can't do this. It's impossible. They totally lost the whole point. Do you remember John Bevere on the first night? Grace. His grace empowers us, gives us everything that we need to do everything that he's called us to do. These people missed it. And that makes God angry. You don't want to find yourself in that kind of position. And so, so God gets angry and he says, all right, you know what, Moses, that's it. I'm going to wipe them out. This is not going to happen. I'm not going to allow this to happen. Yes, I'll fulfill my promises, but not with this generation. And so he's ready to wipe them all out. And, 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 and so Moses is saying, okay, but God, and then he prays and intercedes. And that's a whole other idea there that we're not going to focus in on right now, right here. But he goes to bat and he's praying and asking God to have mercy and to hold off for, for just, just hold off. And as he's doing this then, he, God, God begins to, 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 to relent and he's not going to destroy them, but here's what he is going to do. Okay, we're going to pick up here in uh, chapter 14, verse 20. Chapter 14, verse 20 says, The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, <laughs> not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. I know I've read a lot of scripture here. I hope you're with me. I want you to tune in here if you've tuned out. He says, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Verse 24, but because, but because, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Because Caleb had a different spirit, because he stood out, because he spoke up, because he said, when everyone else said, God can't, he said, God can. Because of those things, God said, I will fulfill all of my promises to him, but everyone else is going to miss it. Now, my question to you is pretty simple. What side do you want to be on? Which person do you really want to be as we go forward here in our cause and advancing the kingdom and being a blessing and serving Jesus? Where are you going to line up? Because see, running back to the beginning here, do you remember the very beginning when I started reading? There are a few things. Let me breeze through really quick. When Here in, cha in chapter 13, he says in verse 27, we went to the land you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. That means God's promises are true. They're true. They're real. He's real. He's big and powerful. He has things that he's working in your heart and life here this weekend. He's got things that he's been doing for generations in your family, for generations preparing you for this moment. He's working and doing this grand scheme and grand design and the things that he's got promised in his word for you, this weekend for you, for your youth group, for everything that he's called you to do, those promises are in fact true. He doesn't lie. Those promises are real and they exist for you. But as you go out, you will face opposition as you go out to get them. 
And you do have to go get them, I think. You remember, it was John, I think, that talked about how, that, or who, well, actually, it's been a theme all through. Man, that, that we've got to participate. You remember how John was talking about we've got to participate in that sanctification process. There are things that God has done and wants to do, but you and I have got to participate with him to be able to go and get them. And you've got to go after those promises. You've got to go after those promises to make sure that you get them. And so as you go and do that, you'll face all kinds of opposition. There's just no doubt about it. You just need to get ready for it. And people just like these, just like these spies, they're going to come back and they're going to exaggerate and they're going to say it's way worse out there than we ever thought. This generation is so scary. I don't know what to do. They're huge. There's junior high girls everywhere. You got to watch out. They're coming after you. I got to stop doing that. They're going to exaggerate, and they're going to distort truth, and they're going to say we can't. They're going to say it's impossible, and Jesus is looking for people who will say, yes, it is possible. Yes, it is possible. See, these are the kind of people that are different, because as you look around, there's all kinds of things going down in this generation, and there's things going down in the church world, there's things going down in the world, there's things going down everywhere where people are just saying, no man, it's looking pretty hopeless, you can't do it. There's people going, there's things going down in your family where people are saying, no, you're not going to amount to anything, you can't do anything. There are people, there are circumstances, there are temptations, there are heartaches and disappointments and all kinds of things that you're struggling with. You will face opposition. Just be okay with it. Expect it and rejoice in it and go on. Why? Because his promises are true. What are you going to do? Just give up? Oh, I believe in the land with milk and honey. It sounds so marvelous, but I just don't think I could ever go get them. Okay? You're not going to. God's going to say, that dude... You're not going to make it. But this guy over here who believes, this guy who knows, this guy who trusts in me, who has faith in me, this guy who lives differently than all these other people, this guy is going to get what I promised him. That's who I want you to be. That's what I'm looking for today. Jesus already told us, everybody, that the world is going to oppose us, that we're going to face opposition. He said, look, man, the world hates me. It's going to hate you. So let's just all say, okay. Get used to it. It's so funny to me. We're like, we go to high school and, and we're like, hey man, can I tell you about Jesus? No! What, you're a Christian? Shut up, I don't want to hear that. <gasps> and then you go to your pastor. Did you hear what he said to me? He said that to me. I didn't know people could be so mean. Jesus said it. Do you read your Bible? Read your Bible. He said, the world hates me. It's going to hate you. So when you walk into a dark culture and you say, let me shine bright the light of Jesus Christ. And people say, no. Why are you shocked and surprised? Just do it anyway. You just let it go. I don't recommend that overall strategy that I just presented, but, but find a way. 
Who, well, who knows? Maybe it'll work. Stand up on the table in the cafeteria. Now that I have your attention, I'd like to tell you about Jesus Christ, the light of the world. <laughs> oh, some high schools are going to get rocked off that one. No doubt about it. But get over it. Jesus said they're going to hate you. Just expect it and be okay with it. Why? Because Jesus warned you and he said, listen, when they hate you, just rejoice because I love you for it. Oh man, we gotta keep cruising. All right, so then, so then what happens? All right, everybody's freaking out now. Everybody's going crazy because they hear about all these big people. And even though they saw these spies brought back fruit, big old honking clusters of grapes on huge poles, and they're carrying them in, and the people are like, that's the most amazing cluster of grapes I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of clusters of grapes. And so they're looking at this fruit. They're seeing tangible evidence that God's promises are true. But they're freaking out and wailing because they said, oh, but there's big people there who it's going to be really hard to fight. So they lose heart. In fact, at the beginning of 14, it says that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. That's a fun community to participate in. I can just see Joshua and Caleb, shut up. <laughs> and then they get real ridiculous. Oh, this is not working out. This is not working out at all like I thought it was going to work out. This is no good. This is no good. This is no good. I can't believe we're out here in the desert like this. This is not, I can't, I just can't believe it. I can't believe that Moses brought us out here. You know what? You know what? You know what? Let's choose a new leader and let's have him lead us back into Egypt. That's a great idea. God's promises are over there. Yeah, okay, but there's battles to fight there. So that's, I, I, we'll never be able to do that. That's not going to work. So what should we do? Oh, let's go back to Egypt because maybe we can coexist peacefully with everything that was going on there. Maybe when we walk back in, Pharaoh will just say, oh, we're so glad to have you home. Welcome. Mm. What a bunch of idiots. What they're saying is, hey, let's choose somebody and have them lead us back into slavery. Let's have them take us back in, lock us up in chains, and let's live our lives there. Now that sounds ridiculous to us, but how many times do we do that? The promises of God are out there, and we walk into and we say, I believe that I'm supposed to be a pastor, a youth pastor, a missionary, a lawyer, a doctor. In this generation, I have purpose. And we march towards it, and opposition rises up. A parent says, no, you won't be able to do that. No, you can't go on that mission trip. No, you're not smart enough. A teacher says, oh, man, you're so dumb. Dunce can't, boop, okay, over in the corner, you're finished. Things happen to us. People say, oh, you're one of those Christians. Man, you don't belong here. Opposition rises up and we're looking at the promise, but opposition pops up and we say, oh, ooh, ooh, I don't think I can do it. And so we shrink back and shrink back and we're not thinking it, but we're just saying, well, I'm just going to cower back into my corner. And then what happens? As you're stepping back away from the promise, you start stepping back into the old habits, the old nature, 
the old junk, the old stuff that Jesus already set you free from. Some of you are in danger when you leave here because you haven't, you haven't said yes to that grace to believe that God can do what he said he'll do through you. And you're going to get home and you're going to say, oh, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm going to make it. And you're going to back up right back into your porn habit. You're going to back right back into that drug habit. You're going to back right into that relationship with that girl or with that guy that you said, never again, no more. And what's going to happen? You walk back, chain, <laughs> chain, <laughs> uh, and you're going to be worse off than you were before. But you can choose today to believe. You can choose today to believe and follow after Jesus. To seek him. To be like Caleb. Who we got to discover what he's like here as we're going on. All right. So here in the midst of all that foolishness, two guys stand up and say, No! No way, this is not going to go down here like this. And they lived with a different spirit, different than everybody else around them. They stood out, and they followed God wholeheartedly, the scripture says. What does different mean? There's lots of definitions for different. Here's the one I like the best. Contrary to norms or expectations. Contrary to norms or expectations. That's the way that Caleb lived. Everybody said, oh, well, the whole community is grumbling and weeping aloud. <laughs> and they're all afraid and they're all freaking out. But he stood up contrary to the norms of his culture and said, no. No way. All these people are saying, oh, we can't do it. They're all expecting to not be able to do it. And he's saying that we can. Contrary to norms or expectations. And then spirit. Here's one definition of spirit. A vital force that characterizes a living being as being alive. You know how I like to just define it? Let's just define it in real simple terms. Spirit is the core. It's who you are. So when you live with a different core, a core that says, I am living contrary to the norms and expectations that are placed on me in this culture. That's the kind of person that Caleb was. And that's the kind of person that we need to be. Because see, blending in, but what is blending in going to get anybody? I get so freaked out sometimes because we use all this war language and battle language. We use all this stuff because no doubt we're in a fight. We're in a fight in this generation. Man, things are rough. We're, we're wrestling against, not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. All these things are going on in these other realms. And we're fighting that war. And we're fighting culture wars here in our country and in your school. You're fighting the war of flesh and spirit nature every day. There are these wars going on for your soul and the souls of the people in your generation. And so we use all this language, and we're, we're getting ready, and so we're getting pumped and excited, and we're all getting ready. We're putting on our camo and our fatigues, and we're putting on all the, the camouflage gear, and you got the hat, and you got the shirt, and you got everything, and you put it all on, and then you run into the battle, and you see the big forest, and you think, oh, thank God, I can just stand here and blend in. If I'm real still, maybe they won't see me. Because there's Billy, and he's a Christian like me. He's got his camo on, and he's been standing by that tree for the past 15 years. Oh, and there's Susie, and Susie, Billy and Susie. Susie 
She's been hanging out there for the past three years or so since she got saved in youth group. Yeah, that was awesome. What a great night that was. Susie, good job. Shh. Camouflage. They can't see me. Let's fight. And you're not doing anything. Why? Because you're not different. You're just blending in with everybody else. You're just blending in with the other, the other weaklings who have decided, I'm going to try to fit in with my culture. I just want to be here. And I'll, I'll say I'm a Christian. I'll put on my fatigues. But I'm just, I'm just going to kind of be here with this tree. You know what I think you should do? <laughs> Put on your white jeans, your white puffy coat, and you charge into the battle. Here, let me, let me redeem it. Go be a junior high student for Jesus in this culture. How about that? <laughs> Stand out. Be different. Oh, I don't want to be different. I don't want people to look at me. Wear that puffy coat and chili dog with pride. We need to define the puffy coat and chili dog here. Let's define it quickly. A different spirit. It gives us some clues here to who Caleb was. In chapter, we read it, this is the, kind of the crux here. Chapter 14, verse 24. My servant Caleb has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. So, the first thing. As you do this, as you say, I must be one who lives differently in a, as a wholehearted follower of God to the very end, then number one, defy the norms and expectations of the culture that you live in. Defy them, because they're placing them on you. Oh, they're teenagers. Oh, they're just teenagers. And, there's, and there's, there's two things that let me focus in on. There's one from the world, and the world says, oh, they're teens. You know what that means? Raging hormones and whatnot. So they're going to go out and they're going to do what they're going to do. We just need to try to help them as best they can. Okay? They view you as animals. They think that you're running around, <laughs> woman. <laughs> and it, unfortunately, some of you are, and you need your face slapped off. But. Because you are not animals. You are created in the image of God to do incredible things for the kingdom. So, so you're not animals, but they'll call you that. They'll say, oh, they're teens. You know what that means? Oh, he's going through his rebellious phase. We're hoping it'll pass. It's been going on for the past 20 years, but we're hoping it's going to pass. They're going to place those kinds of expectations on you. They'll say, oh, they're going to get drunk. Oh, they're going to smoke. Oh, they're going to experiment. They need to go through a little experimentation. They need to learn about life. They need to experience it and then hopefully make good decisions. That is trash! I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to seek Jesus 
and you need to be holy, and you need to be sanctified, and you need to live that way your whole life long till you're an old man and you're in the grave. Worm buffet, bought the box condo, my life is over. I'm six feet under, and I serve Jesus the whole way. And you can do it. Why? Because you're so good. Such a great Christian. I go to youth group. No, because Jesus lives in you. And then there's the other side, the other side of the culture that says, uh, and, and this, ooh, this is a little sticky. <laughs> then there's the culture of the church that will say, oh, well, they're just teens. And so we hope that one day, when they're into their 30s and 40s, that they'll do something great for the kingdom of God. One day they'll be powerful. One day they'll figure it out. And can I just share with you briefly the way that I like to talk to those kinds of people? My tag friends know about it, but I like to say, Psst, hey, let me tell you a secret. Come here. Let me talk to you about what God can do when he gets a hold of the life of a teenager. Come here. Come here. Come here. Yeah, come closer. A little closer. Just a little closer. Yeah, bring your head right in here. And I like to lean in and I like to grab both sides of their head so that I can whisper softly and say, Wham! Now stand up so I can tell you what God can do with teenagers. That was terribly disrespectful of me. And I'm not sorry. Defy those norms and expectations. Follow God wholeheartedly. That's number two. Follow Jesus wholeheartedly with all of you. You understand what wholehearted is, don't you? Wholehearted means with everything. Everything that you have. It's holding nothing back. It's not you saying, oh, Jesus, I seek you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want to be near you. Oh! <laughs> Except not that part of me that is my relationship with my girlfriend because I really like that part. That's nice. That's going good. She's, a, she's a loving me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And she's so incredibly hot. <laughs> and so I'm going to keep that, but I give you my whole heart. Oh, sorry. I forgot about that one part of rebellion to my parents. Look, they just make me so mad. They're not fair. <laughs> Garbage. All garbage. You missed it. You missed the whole thing. That's not wholehearted devotion. And so you're, you're going through life going, I follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Well, except for my girlfriend and my parents and my disobedience and my little habit on the weekends. But other than that, I follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And then things aren't working out. You're not having any power in your life. You're not having any transformation in your life. You're struggling with things over and over again. You're talking to people about Jesus occasionally when you accidentally step upon it and nothing's going on. And you're wondering, why isn't my life in God working? Because you're going halfway. Nothing works if you go halfway. Things don't work right when you go halfway. Did you ever try getting half-dressed to go to school in the morning? Do you do that? Do you walk down the hallways? Hey, Bill. Joe, what's going on? Hey, man, great youth service last night. And they're like, dude, where's your pants? You're going to find yourself in the principal's office in a hurry. You're going to be wearing the mascot uniform. 
Got dressed halfway, didn't you? No. When you go wholeheartedly, what does the Bible say happens? You find him. Brent, Brent, my life and God just doesn't seem to be working out. I just feel so weak and I just, I just feel like I can't do it. Are you going wholeheartedly? Probably not. Because the Bible says when you do, you'll find him. Now, there might be times where, where maybe he's kind of playing a little bit and saying, oh, I'm over here. Oh, I'm over here. That may happen. The road to Emmaus, he kind of hid just a little bit from the guys and, and they were kind of looking for him. And that may happen, but he might just be saying, come after me. Are you serious? Do you mean it? Do you really want me? Do you mean it? Here, I'm going to step over here for a minute. Oh, I was having so good a time of desperation, but now I don't know where he went. I can't find him. I'm going to give up and go back to slavery. Oh, no way. Wholehearted devotion. And when you go, you'll find him. Number three, number three that Caleb did, it was in it was at the beginning, chapter 13, verse 30. Let's cruise here and wrap this up. 1330, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up, take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now wait, the people, the people hadn't even been complaining much yet. They they'd said, man, God's promises are true. But there are a lot of people around there. Caleb knew it was beginning. They were starting the slide. And so what did he do? He stood up and said, yeah, 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 shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Be quiet. We should go do it because we certainly can. That's the kind of person that Jesus is looking for in this generation to silence those voices that say it cannot be done because he knows that he's with you and they can be done. These people believed. Joshua and Caleb, they lived different and they believed. When everybody else said, you can't, they said, you can. When everyone else said, God can't, they said, God can. And that's why they got the promises. And they didn't just believe it. They just believe it and sit at youth group and say, mm-hmm, that's so true. You know, God's promises are really true. Billy, Susie, did you know that? Look what a good job I'm doing. I'm sharing with my friends. Uh -uh. Missing it, missing it, missing it, missing it. They stood up in the midst of that whole assembly and said, be quiet. Let's go take it now because we certainly can do it. They had faith. The last thing was is that they stayed focused. He stayed focused on the promises. It's chapter 14, verse 9, where he says, let's go to verse 8. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Did you get it? He will lead us. I can jump high. He will, he, he will lead us if he's pleased with us. Do you know what that means? That means they focused their eyes on the prize and they lived in obedience to make sure that God was going to lead them to where he wanted them to go. If he's pleased with us, He'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. We'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. They stayed focused on the promises. They knew they were true, and they knew they were going to have to fight, but they would get through it, and they would receive what God had promised them. This is how they were different. And there's only two of them. There's two of them. Out of these 10 guys, there's two of them. You know, it makes me think of last night what Ron was saying. 
98% of people just kind of cruising around in culture. Oh, I want to be part of this dream. I want to be part of this thing. And 2%, 2% will be the ones to shape it. Joshua and Caleb were shapers. <clears throat> so here's, here's the part that makes me the most excited. Ready? Here we go. Let's, let's close it with this little passage right here. You go to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Hmm, starting in verse 6. Let's read it fast. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, this is Caleb talking to Joshua. This is much later. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea. Now Moses is gone. He's dead. And Joshua is leading the charge here. At Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. What are you doing? Are you making people's hearts melt with fear around you? Or are you living different, outstanding, to encourage and inspire them and let Jesus work in you? But, um, and it says, I, however, this is verse 8, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There it is again. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. He has kept me alive 45 years. Grace, power. Since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still, listen, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this, here he goes. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Yeah, huh? He overcame. He overcame. What was the secret to his overcoming? I just read it about 15,000 times. Followed God wholeheartedly. So you walk away. You walk away from desperation. Hey, D-band guys, if you'd come up, that'd be great. You walk away from desperation and say, oh, what do we do? What are we going to do? What do I do? I don't want to go back and lose the fire. I don't want to go back and, and mess this up. I don't Problem is you go back and you just kind of walk back into Egypt instead of walking forward and pursuing God wholeheartedly. I couldn't help but get rocked when we were singing up here, just before, when we were singing, I'm coming your way, I'm coming your way, I'm coming your way, I'm coming your way. If that becomes the mantra of your life, if that becomes who you are inside, and you do that, you will win. 
you keep that heart attitude. It doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect and you're always going to succeed in everything that you do, but it means that you'll continue through to the rest of your days, seeking and following Jesus, and he'll give you the strength to accomplish everything that is put in your heart, and you will walk into the promises of God. But you've got to keep that heart following wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. I'm coming your way. You say, man, I don't want to lose the... I don't want to have a conference mentality and go back and just mess everything up. Okay, don't. Oh, I want to be so close to Jesus when I go back because I feel so close to him, but desperation. You know why? You're actually pursuing him harder than you've done before. Here. Go home and do that. But wait, wait, wait. yeah, it's exciting, but we got to finish. <laughs> Go home and do that. It's not going to feel like this all the time. Who cares? You, we, we, base our, we base our Christianity on feel way too much. It has everything to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with him, Jesus. And your constant pursuit of him. If you, here's the guarantee. If you continually pursue and follow wholeheartedly, what happens? You find him. You'll go through weak, dry times, but you'll find him. You'll overcome. All right, I got to shut up. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not only that. Not only do you get the promises, not only does all that stuff happen, not only does a generation change because, because thousands of us decided on this Saturday morning that we were going to live this lifestyle and be different and follow God wholeheartedly the rest of our days. Not only does that happen where you walk into all the promises, but you stand there, not defeated and wimpy, oh, I'm, I'm almost dead, but before I go, uh, make it. I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm almost dead. But I'm getting the promises, dude. It's awesome. Was that Caleb? What'd Caleb say? I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go fight battles now as I was when I was a wee little whippersnapper. The strength and the courage and the vigor of my teenage years, I'm 85 years old and I still got it. We must be the ones that will live differently as wholehearted followers of God to the very end. I challenge you to start it now. You guys with the posters, bring those up. Every year, a desperation. There's some core things that we cling to, and they all revolve around one idea, following God wholeheartedly. They're represented in Caleb, 
our friend. One says he followed God wholeheartedly. Don't pay attention to these guys. They're just going to put posters up. You're going to see them in a minute. So listen to me here. I'm going to explain them to you. Followed God wholeheartedly. That's number one. Desperate pursuit. Desperate pursuit of God. Today, I want to challenge you to commit your life to it. Your whole life to the consistent, desperate pursuit of God. We said that he spoke up to silence the voices that said he couldn't. He was diligent in his words and he was diligent, I think, in prayer. To stand up and not just in front of people but, but certainly before the living God to, to, be, to be prayerful and mindful and to silence the voices in his own mind and outside that were saying you can't. He went before God and said, yes, I can because of you. It's the second thing is diligent prayer. The third thing, we said he defied the norms and expectations of culture. It's a consecrated heart. A heart that is consistently being purified. Standing against the tide that comes to attack you and say, you should live this way. A consecrated heart continually being made holy before God. And we said he stayed focused on the promises of God. He had a strategic plan to get himself there and he lived a focused life. Four things, desperate pursuit, diligent prayer, consecrated heart, and focused life. Today, down here in the front are posters that represent those four big ideas. And those four ideas are represented. Living with a different spirit is the idea here. Following God wholeheartedly is the idea here. And today, we want you to participate in this thing by signing up and saying yes. By making a holy contract, a vow, a covenant. Something that you say, I don't ever want to be let out of. But that doesn't happen very well if you make things like that on your own. You know how it happens best? It happens best when you do it as a group, family, friends, youth ministries, youth pastors together saying, I'm in this with you. Let's go and live wholeheartedly for Jesus. I'll spur you on. Caleb had a Joshua. If it had just been Caleb, I'm not sure. I think it was in him, but I'm not sure. But with Joshua, they both said, let's go. You can do it if you've got people to help. So, right now, you guys can start to play. Right now, I want to ask every youth pastor in this room, if you accept the challenge for your ministry to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and to follow him and to live by these things, to live differently, I want to ask you to come forward and pick up one of these posters. If you'd say, yeah, man, that's for my group. That's what I want to have happen. That's where we want to go. Come forward and stay. Come forward and stay. Come forward and stay. You don't need to do anything just yet. Just come forward and stay. Hey, everybody. Imagine. Imagine. Imagine, look at these youth pastors. These are the generals. These are the leaders. These are the men and women that love you and that say, I'm here to spur you on in faith. 
Okay, hold on, hold on. Let your mind wander now and imagine. What if, what if we all in our student ministry said yes? We said yes to desperate pursuit. We said yes to daily diligent prayer. We said yes to consecrated hearts. We said yes to focused lives. What would happen in your life? What would your student ministry start to look like? What would your schools start to look like? What would your city start to look like? What would your stinking state start to look like? What would this nation start to look like with pockets of people who actually did this? Not a high at a conference, but a core decision, a core inside to live contrary, a core inside to say, we will live different. We will pursue Jesus wholehearted. Never stopping. What would happen? I can't even fathom it. But I know it looks like transformation. I know it looks like revival. I know it looks like thousands upon thousands of souls in the kingdom of God. I'm going to pray over these youth pastors. And they're going to pray with me. And then they're going to go back to their seats. I want you to watch for them. And if you would say, I believe in that vision. I believe in that vision. I believe in that vision. I believe in what God's doing in our youth ministry. This isn't a replacement of vision. This is an addition of power to the vision. It's a way to continue on. And you'd say, yeah, then I want you to go. In just a minute, they're going to go back to their seats after we pray. I want you to go find them. And I want you with them to sign your name on that poster and say, this is my vow. I will live wholeheartedly. Let's do this. Father, in the name of Jesus. implanted in every one of these men and women. Thank you for the love for Jesus. Thank you for the love for students. Thank you for the drive to see generations rescued and changed. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in them. Now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, breathe life, invigorating life of God into the vision that is implanted in their hearts. Oh, God, do it now. Do it now, Jesus. And take the infusion of these ideas that represent our love and devotion for you. And as we sign our names on the dotted line to say, yes, this is the life that I commit to. This is my vow. Me as an individual and us as a student ministry, this is what we will do. God, as that takes place in this room, God, seal that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Raise up armies out of these groups to advance the kingdom of God where they are and now breathe the life of God into these pastors and youth workers and volunteers. Let it flow into them. Give them encouragement. Give them strength. Give them renewed passion and vision to see the job done. Where they say, I don't think I can, God, say to them right now, yes, you can because of me. Father, 
we make this vow as families in God, as the bodies of Christ, representations of one body all over the world, all over the nation. We say, yes, this is our vow, to live with desperate pursuit, diligent prayer, consecrated heart, focused life, to do everything you've called us to do. See this and mark it. Burn it in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, youth pastors, go. Carry the vision. Carry the vision. Carry the vision. Wait, wait, wait. Students, students, find them. Find them. Find them. Look at them. Do you see them? Go get them. Go get them. Go get them right now. This is a holy moment. Don't be giddy. Don't run off. We're just about done in the next few minutes. Don't, don't talk loud. This is a holy moment here. This is a big deal. This is a vow. This is a commitment. Be honorable and respectful. You go find them and you sign your name. We're just about done. We're going to break for lunch. But not before we do the most important things. In Jesus' name. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.